welcome to this series today's edition is quite interesting <laughs> very interesting because i know that some parents are not going to totally like this one while some are going to be totally excited about it because it's going to be like deliverance today's series is me saying to you that for you to survive your kids adolescence you should learn to respect their choices when i mean choices i mean choices for their likes and dislikes choices for their hobbies choices for life generally from the serious things like what they want to be in life to the minute things like what they don't want to eat and all that now i'm not saying that you should respect the choice that will put them in danger or trouble okay but what i'm saying is if nobody's dying <laughs> could you just let them sometimes even when someone is dying you could attempt to allow them make those mistakes so that they can learn from it as long as they have an a leg are not going to be lost in the process and for some children truth be told that is the only time they would, they would actually ever really learn a lesson so when your children become teenagers expect that they'll come up with the craziest weirdest most unbelievable suggestions and ideas about what they want their fantasies their dreams their desires sometimes are described as out of this world but is it okay yes i think we should let our children just explore okay just don't don't try to box them because of your ability to quickly shut them down allow them sometimes they're coming to you just as suggestions they haven't made it a choice yet but the way you handle it will determine if they would go after it or not i know this is a tough one this is a tough one because um i know that some of us are victims of the consequences of our own wrong and failed choices and so we want to live our lives through our children by insisting that they don't go on particular routes however the best thing for you to do is to just respect it at least even if you're not going to approve <laughs> at least just respect the fact that these choices these desires these wishes these dreams are coming from them after all we know that clothes look best on our children we know that we know the kind of friends they should be hanging around with we know the activities they should engage in but that still doesn't mean that because we know everything about them and what they should be doing that we should just um allow them do these things or not do them by deciding whether it's done or not i read a story in the book of how um the author's son who was 15 years old announced at the dining table that he was going to get an earring he wasn't asking he was making an announcement like mom dad i'm getting an earring on so he looked at his wife 
and non-verbally they agreed to let the comment pass of course they were not going to let that happen it was it was too serious a thing to just allow but at that moment they let it pass that's what we say about you choosing your battles when you have teenagers you have to learn to choose your battles you cannot fight everything that is gonna happen in your home you cannot fight everything that your teenagers are gonna come up with if not they're gonna be constantly fighting i mean you will fight from early in the morning to last thing at night so he let it pass for that day and of course by the next time they were gonna have dinner he had earrings on himself i mean the author yeah i mean the author his son didn't notice it no didn't notice it at first but when he did he said dad you look absolutely ridiculous and his father casually said no i don't think so your mom likes it what happened after that without any lectures without any struggles any fights that was the end of that crazy desire from a 15 year old how about that compared to a long sermon of what the bible says what our holy book says how his action was going to bring shame to the family what will people think how about all that cut off no need for that just a simple creative way of saying no but not saying it truly speaking the author confessed that if the boy had insisted on going ahead with those earrings he would not have done anything i mean because he said this is ears i mean right is your ears and you you you, you can you can do with it whatever you like it's your business but he just needed to not fight and then to communicate through a more effective means his displeasure for what his son was going to do this did a lot for his son of course because it influenced his son's action and it also kept his son still feeling closed and not judged not criticized not feeling like a failure for ever thinking of doing that I remember a time in my in, in my in my journey as a parent when um, one of my daughters um, took interest to wearing short things, okay, and she just felt like nothing is wrong with it as long as I'm not naked. Okay, you're not naked, but you're a bit too openly dressed, and it's fine for the house, but it's not fine for stepping out of the house. And it seemed like um, I was going to have this fight. And I said, you know what, Um, I'm going to leave this and I'm going to try something else. So because she's very fashionable and I usually run my outfits with her before going out, I decided to wear one of the mini skirts one of the days. And she goes, mom, you can't wear this out. I said, why? I want to look hot, like hot. And she says, no, it's too open. It's too revealing. It's too tight. It's too this and that. And she went out to real reasons. And as she was saying it, she kind of was 
speaking to herself as if to say okay so these are the qualities of a good attire it must not be revealing it must not be too tight it must not be too short and that was how gradually by herself she began to audit her wardrobe she went to her wardrobe not that day of course several days later but i just noticed that she had segregated her clothes to say this is for going out this is for staying in the house this is for going to a family member's house and all that this is for going to a party this is for going to church and this is for going to the neighbors this, these are these are lessons I've been trying to teach before now. So sometimes, depending on your personality as a parent, it actually helps immensely if you can use humor, if you can be playful about some of these so-called very serious issues, some of these very difficult, challenging issues. I also remember a time when my son began to admire everybody that came to church and had his hair like we call it in Nigeria, fried. You know when you see guys, young men, their hair's cherry coil, like coil, you know? is <laughs> well cut, okay, but it's, it's coily. And he began to admire and admire and admire. And personally, that's not my kind of haircut for a young man. That's, that's not what I think. But he just went on and on and he started running it by me. I had to find a way to let him know where moderation comes in in all this. So what he decided to do was just to, um, you know, keep uh, long hair. No, no, not long. So not barbed hair, but at least a bit bushy up, then cut. But for the issue of jerry coiling, not yet. For the issue of plating, totally out of it. So this is the point where as a teen parent or preteen parent you have to be ready to negotiate so the best we can do is when it's caught you can do some treatment we call it we have to find a salon where they do some kind of treatment to the hair which he totally loves every time he goes to cut his hair but for plating for coil, for um, braiding totally out of it this is one of the toughest assignments for us as parents because many times our children are not like us how many of us are introverts how many of us are traditional people you know we love to just maintain status quo and our children are just the opposite of us they love life they love to be everywhere look at the girls today they want very long braids up to their butt they want pink red green that's another thing that happened in my home my daughter, when, when this um, color hair began to trend, wanted to do pink, green, you know, th- just like what her peers were doing. And I said, no, we had to refer back to our family values. And our family values say, you can be trendy, but you must be moderate. So what is moderation? You can do a color that is not shouty. You can do deep maroon, you can do deep purple, you can do deep ash. It's, oh, it's colored, but it's, tone down you can do long braids but it must not get to your butts okay so you need to strike a balance this is where negotiation comes in there are some things that your children will be doing as children but as they become adolescents they are gonna go beyond that especially because adolescents love to test us they want to try you they want to set a trap for you and watch you fall into it. So you need to be careful. 
trust me on this one numerous parents have taken my advice this is a heart-to-heart -heart advice only to discover that when their kids were grown they became more like their mother or father or parents you know they became what their parents hoped for you 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 don't need to worry and trouble yourself about this stage all these things will pass recently a parent said to me look at this pastor's son coming to church wearing one ear of earring what is the meaning of that and i'm like don't worry it will pass it's a phase it will pass your children especially if you have imbibed the right values in them will not depart from them however they would want to explore and it is not bad for us to give them a bit of leverage to explore some of these things do you know why so that they won't be doing this exploration at old age we see some adults they are 40 some they are over 40 over 50 and this is the time they are plating their hair something they should have been doing at teenage now i'm not endorsing plating of hair i'm just using these as examples there are some things that are no no and the way to communicate the no no aspects of your children's life is through your family values that is your saving grace that means if you don't have a family value well written out for everyone to see and understand framed if possible this is the time to do that because during adolescent age you are going to constantly have to refer back to that so if my son comes and says to me mom I want to get a tattoo i'm not going to go and do a tattoo because i want to show him that i can do a tattoo no i'm just going to refer him back to our family values the first one is spirituality this is not a sign of a priest and a king i'm going to refer him back to our family values so you need to go back and do your family values properly don't just do it off head and say is this what our family believes in you need to point it to them to say look at it we did this together so that as long as his choice is not going against that family value you could let them do some of these things some of them are going to outgrow it so we have some children when they are teenage when they're your preteens they are saying things like, i want to be a comedian i want to be a footballer i want to be and a musician and then we are so worried we're fighting how can you you're struggling and fighting with them for something that's gonna eventually change we need to just continue talking with them appealing to their consciences appealing to their hearts so that as they grow they'll begin to reason remember that when you're trying to strike a balance in these things you know that your children are still being um, developed their brains are still being developed and so the pre prefrontal cortex of your child's brain is not fully developed now that part of the brain is the part that is responsible for critical thinking that is why sometimes they have weird ideas because they are not able to process their choices and their decisions well that is why they need us as support as backup however the way we handle these requests the way we handle their desires also has a negative effect because it now drives them to read so for example when your child says mommy i want to go to the club it happened to a, a friend of mine her daughter said to her i want to go to the club 
And because she had worked with me and I told her that don't be surprised at when these children pull up this crazy request. She has never been to a club all her life. And she said to the girl, okay, club, okay, that's fine. She went to speak to her friends, her circle of friends, and her circle of friends said, you know what? Tell her that since you are not willing to go to the club, that we will take her to the club when she's 16. We'll take her to a decent club. When she gave her daughter the news, you could see a deep relief in the daughter's body language. Apparently, she was really like um, concerned about it. Will my mom let me go? Will she not let me go? And after some time, that club, 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 club thing just died a natural death. Just because her mom said, okay, you could go to this club, but you're going to go guided. You're going to go to a decent club and you're going to go with um, people that I can trust. That made her feel relaxed, like, okay, I'm not being criticized here. My father is a pastor, my mom is a minister, but they can let me do this if I want to, as long as I'm going to be accountable and responsible. I hope you get what my point is. If you do, you would realize that you will be able to survive this adolescence age of your children. Thank you so much and see you in the next series. Bye. Welcome to this series where we're talking about what we need to do to survive our kids' adolescence. In this edition and episode, we're going to speak about the need for us to ask for forgiveness. Did I hear you say for what? Well, for doing something wrong, thinking, thinking about something that was wrong, for the things that would happen or might happen between you and your child, you and your teenager, that will make them feel very bad. Love means never having to say you are sorry. That's what some people think. Do you agree? This naughty catchphrase from the 70s still crops up when we have to have sessions, counseling sessions with parents. Some African parents, Nigerian parents will say something like, my dad never said sorry to me, my mom never said sorry to me, and so we think that it's okay for us to never say sorry to our children. That's very wrong. Love keeps no record of wrongdoings, that's what the Bible says, but love surely says sorry because there is no way you're going to have a great relationship with people and never offend them it is not possible and this doesn't mean um that because you're the parent you're the adults here that you are almighty no it doesn't mean that too many parents feel that they should never have to ask for forgiveness from their children because they, they think that, oh, I'm superior to you. I, I'm better than you. I know more than you. No way. We all fought, all fall short. Sometimes, even failure to not think of something 
is offensive to our children. Sometimes intentions good, action wrong, delivery wrong. It's, a, it, it's, it's all an error. The important thing is not that you have done something wrong or something that has not gone down well with your child. What is most important is that you're not just apologizing, but you are modeling to them that you are human. You can make errors just like them. You are teaching to them a life lesson that they will need as they interact with other people, both at home, at work, in business, in ministry, that they are never right. I hope we know that teenagers have an entitlement mentality. Teenagers always want the world to bow to them. Teenagers always feel like, oh, I'm on top of the world and every other thing must submit and surrender to me. By simply saying these words, I'm sorry, will you forgive me? I made an error. Can you forgive me? I'm so sorry. That's not what I meant. Oh, I'm sorry. Can I, can I, can I, can you give me an opportunity to do it better? By simply saying those things, you're teaching your child that, look, when something goes wrong, take responsibility. I've heard and seen the most rebellious kids talk about rebellion. I have seen them raw in their raw state. I have seen such children, boys, girls, melt like completely submit just because their parents acknowledged and confessed to actually being really harsh on them, not being the best parents ever, asking for their help to help them parent these same rebellious children. I've seen these children break down. Look, being vulnerable is not a loss. It's not a disadvantage. Being vulnerable is a strength. Being vulnerable is an advantage. Being vulnerable is a plus for you as a parent. It could pierce the souls and the hearts of your children. You may think that these children will not respect you. You may, you may think that, you know, like we say in Nigeria, don't you think that that action is going to cause see finish, which is your children looking down on you just because you were vulnerable? No. Don't think that your children are, are so childish to be insensitive. To know that, oh, my mom is being matured. If you admit to being insensitive, cruel, you know, mean, forgetful, complacent, uncaring, you need to know that that confession can increase the respect and the value that your children have for you. Asking for this forgiveness, asking for it, you don't command it, don't say you have to forgive me, just say you're asking for it and they can choose, you can ask, have you forgiven me? And they'll say yes. Some of them will say, I'm thinking about it. After some time they say, oh yes, I have. And then it follows through with a hug. These things can open up your children's vaults 
teenagers have votes, secret votes, where they lock up things. Some of them are keeping these things for years. Some of them only get to share it with us as mentors and counselors years after it has happened. But they can share it with you if only you can be vulnerable before them. Apologizing your, to your children is a sign of maturity. Apologizing to your children is a sign of emotional intelligence. I wish you can take a break now and think for a moment. Is there something my child has complained about and I just waved off? I need to revisit that issue and to apologize. I have had cause to apologize to my daughter several times. And I see this relief. I see this joy on her face. I see this desire for her to keep coming back to me regardless of whether she's been disciplined or not. Just because she sees a part of me that is vulnerable, that is ready to accept that I am sorry. I also remember a time when um, my husband was trying to um, correct our life. The daughter I'm talking about is our last child who happened to be with us at home because her siblings are in school. And she did something wrong. And my husband said to her, why are you acting lousy? And she didn't say anything. She, Of course, she corrected herself at that time, but she kept it in her mind. And then later came to say, why are you telling me? She said to me, why you tell why is daddy saying why are you people she included me i said why are you people saying i am lousy you know you people are the ones that are confessing that i'm lousy and we had to start explaining to her that that's not what we meant she said but that's how i took the message and so apology time came <laughs> my husband had to say to her no i was not referring to you as a person i was only re referring to your action to your behavior as lousy and then we had to now make the apology to say okay sorry that we miscommunicated to you what we we're trying to say and it was going to have a negative effect on you we're sorry we apologize we know you know and that was how it ended so I saw her relax before she was going to go into her room and lock herself up and stay alone and stay away from us because the words really got to her. And so if you're here and you're constantly using words on your children and you feel that because you're trying to correct them, what she was doing was wrong. But the way we're correcting her was also wrong. Thank God she's an expressive, assertive child. What if she kept it to herself? Those are the things that produce hurtful... Um, bitter depressed emotionally broken down children or rather adults these are the things where your children your teenagers are harboring all sorts of things in their minds hot 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 we need to go and revisit those issues so that we can make up with them and then they can begin to grow as whole adults the second topic we're going to talk about in this series and this episode for today is respecting their privacy you need to respect your child's privacy you own them you own the house yes i know you're paying the bills 
that doesn't stop you from respecting them. Emotions are gushing with the force of Niagara Falls through your adolescent's bodies. You have to realize that. Sexual feelings are running rampant. You have to realize that. Your teenagers are trying to get a feel of who they are. Why they look the way they, they, they look. Why do they feel the way they are feeling? They want to understand. They're trying to grasp themselves. Too many changes are going on, not just externally, but inwardly of your child. Because of this, your children need you to step back a bit and let them have their privacy. You can't continue to barge into their rooms every day, every now and then. It's hard to handle the fact that your little boy or little girl of yesterday no longer has so much interest in doing things with you anymore. In dressing up in your room, in hanging around you, in wanting you to stay around them while they do personal things. Don't be upset. It's a change that is inevitable. However, in the midst of all this, your children, be consoled, are building their independence, even though they're still under your shelter of love and concern. You need to help them respect their privacy. If your children are teenagers already and they're still sharing rooms with their siblings because of space, help them create that um, privacy based on the space that is available you cannot continue to shame them you cannot continue to demand for them to give you access to their private parts to their private rooms to their private toilets do it with a sense of maturity yes I know you need to carry out background checks I know that you need to check their room sometimes, severally, okay, periodically, but do so with respect. Even the way you speak to them when you get into their rooms, do it with respect. Do not be upset when one of your child is coming to make a report against the other sibling of his or hers that is not respecting them or their privacy. Don't say something like, what is the meaning of that? Why will you send your sister out of your room? Is she not your sister? You say, mommy, but then he says, mommy, but I was dressing up. You say, and so what? She's your sibling. No. These are the things that, that destroy the esteem, the healthy self-esteem of our children. When they don't have any access to privacy, everything is open. You bring their secrets, their private life into the open for your siblings to hear, talk, and laugh about. I've had teenagers complain to me about how their parents took their personal issues and blew it up with their friends and family. These are things that your children will never forget. Whether you like it or not, your children will no longer be comfortable exposing their bodies, their selves, their things before you. Sometimes they'll, they'll, they'll do some messy things and they'll try to hide it away from you. Don't be excited about discovering it and announcing it and blowing it up, embarrassing them and puncturing their self-confidence. These are the things that they need to help them build a positive self-image, especially the girls. Please, dear parents, if you know that you want to go through this, this stage, this difficult 
shaky stage of adolescence successfully with your child respect their privacy knock before you enter their room wait for an answer this will also help them do the same thing to you sometimes you're telling your children that they don't respect you they don't respect your things and they don't respect your privacy that is because you don't do the same to them respect they say is reciprocal so you as you do it to them as you model respect to them they will respect they will, re they will respond back they'll reciprocate back to you in the same way if your children are still not aware or conscious because that's another flip side some some children are teenagers already but they still don't have any regard for privacy you can teach them you can say to them okay you're no longer a child you need to be very conscious about how you expose your body how you expose your undies how you expose your room your personal belongings begin to teach them so that they can grow up understanding that this is private and this is public thank you so much for listening see you in the next episode bye hello everyone welcome to this episode we're still talking about rules to survive your kids adolescence in this episode we're going to talk about communication communicating clearly is key in your relationship with your teenagers because teenagers and adults have grown up and are still growing up in two different generations so the potential for misunderstanding miscommunication is very high you say one thing but your children misunderstand you they say something and you misunderstand them and then little disagreements and simple misunderstandings can quickly escalate into vicious battles. Some of these battles go on and on for years and it creates a very big gap, making it even almost impossible for parents to positively influence their children. Remember that as teenagers grow older, they need their parents more. I had mentioned in the previous episode that the part of their brain that is, that is meant for critical thinking is not fully developed. So they need to um, lean on the wisdom, the counsel and the support of their loved ones, trusted adults like you, the parents, their teachers, their mentors. But how can you positively influence somebody you are not communicating with? How can you possibly influence somebody who is not willing and ready to listen to you? Because of these fights, because of these battles, because of these um, tussles that are happening. And it just starts from a simple, why is your tone increased? <laughs> what is the meaning of that statement? This is what you meant, this is what you were trying to say. It starts with us preconceiving, you know, miscon having misconceptions, prejudices. Already some of us feel like, oh, because you're now a teenager, you think that I am now your mate and you can speak to me anyhow. Whereas you are the one who is raising a confident child 
And then when that confident, assertive child tries to speak to you, you term it for rudeness, outright disrespect, rebellion. And then the child shuts down and then the circle continues. It is very, very important for us as parents to go and learn how to communicate with our teenagers. The terminologies to use, body language, verbal communication, non-verbal communication, and the list is endless. The time of communication, the mood, the platform, the place. They are, there are so many things to consider if you want to have an effective communication with your child. And I'm going to ask you this simple question. What are you trying to achieve when you're communicating with your child? This needs to be at the forefront of your mind. You need to think, this, this message I'm trying to pass across, is it meant to build or to repair something? Is it meant to bring my child closer or to push her further? Is it meant to um, improve our relationship or to destroy it? You need to know that because if you don't know the purpose of communicating, then when a misunderstanding comes, the misunderstanding is going to destroy your relationship. Understanding what the aim of your communication is will help you deliberately understand, give excuses as well for your child if something goes wrong. It will help you stay patient and follow through the process of trying to explain, of listening to the explanations, of making up, and then of properly and effectively communicating whatever it is. I read a story of how in a church um, they wanted to buy <laughs> they wanted to buy a chandelier. You know those beautiful lights that are usually put in POP POP made places. Not all, of course, but you know those beautiful lights that the ch churches use, use it at home and all that. And when they were trying to vote for whether to buy it or not, everybody accepted except a particular person. And when he was asked, he said, we don't need the chandelier. We need light in the sanctuary. What did that mean? That meant that he didn't understand that what they were buying was light. He was seeing it as chandelier what is this big word this phrase that they are talking chandelier oh god knows what he thought maybe he thought it was a speaker maybe he thought it was a chair kind of table i don't know maybe he just thought it was something else many times that's how we communicate with our children you're talking you're saying things like self-discipline you're saying things like even a simple thing like purity many teenagers do not understand what it means. They think that you're telling them not to have a boyfriend and a girlfriend, but that is bad. So if they stumble into porn, then it's fine. We need to begin to break down these this phrases, these terminologies, these concepts. That is what that is what parenting is about. You need to do these breakdowns. Sit down patiently and teach. Ask. Ask questions to be sure that they are following you. In the process, they are going to ask you very, very silly questions. And you will just be like, are you a fool? Don't you understand this simple thing I'm saying? If you say those kind of things, your child will shut down. You will think that you're been talking. 
You would think you have been teaching, but they have not been understanding. And until your child can fully understand and implement the concept you are teaching, your child has not yet understood. You have not communicated properly. Some parents are very intentional. They go the extra mile. Aside just speaking, they show, they model. Even in showing, they break it down to visual, especially if you understand how your child communicates, how your child learns, rather. We have the visual learners, we have the auditory learners, we have the kinesthetic learners. If you want to truly communicate something effectively to your child, try to do it in the best way that he learns. So you want to teach your child personal hygiene. And you just start saying things like, you're supposed to be clean. If you have body odor, you will smell and your friends will laugh at you. How does that translate to anything? For some children, it's fine. They can pick the message. But for some children, they will never understand until you tell them stories about people that were embarrassed because they were dirty. Until you show them somebody. Until they watch it in a movie and they see the person actually face the embarrassment, they will never truly understand that. So we need to evolve in our parenting styles. We need to evolve in our styles of communication. We need to evolve in our strategies as parents. Speaking is not the only way of communicating. You can role play. How about that? Find a creative way to to act out what it is that you are saying. Your child will understand that quicker and faster than all the long lectures that we give to them. Children these days are very creative. Children these days are very adventurous. So the more creative and humorous you are in your communication, the more effective that message you are passing will be on them, the more impactful it will be. That is why we have seen a rise in the use of, uh, multi, of the multimedia. That is why we have seen the people out there in the world use the media as a tool for communicating. They don't need to come to your child physically and tell your child anything. All they do is just push out this message through the media and your child gets it. So why are we slacking as parents? You can communicate to your child anything non-verbally. So you don't need to just focus all your attention on talking, talking, talking. And then when we're talking, we're not talking in big, ambiguous, very complicated terminologies. They would not get it. They will not follow through. And then you say things like, but I've been teaching him. This is how my parents taught me and that's how I'm teaching him. Why can't he get it? Is it different? Is it a different spec of, of, of a child? Why can't he get it? We can't get it because he's not getting it and there's nothing you can do. Your job is to teach. His job is to understand as a child. So do your best as a responsible parent, as an intentional parent, to help them understand what you're saying. Speak clearly to your kids. Be honest. Be sure you understand them and they understand you. All right. So the other thing we're going to talk about in this episode is doing the unexpected. I totally love this. Let me explain. And I'm going to paint a scenario for you. So I came home one day. 
it was the season of um, praying and fasting at the beginning of the year. And my children were yet to go back to school. And we had talked about them, you know, making jollof rice. Was it jollof rice or rice and stew for dinner? And I, I, you know, had gone to work, gone to church. And in church, you know how you're anxiously waiting to go back home to a sumptuous meal. And one of them just flipped and said something like, Mommy, how would you feel if you went back home and the food was not yet ready? And I said, you don't dare. You don't tell me that because already I was starving. I was famished. I just could not wait to go back home to a good meal. And when she hinted me as if to say, ah. So she gave her brother a look as if to say, oh, she's really hungry, you know. But there's nothing we can do. We're already in church. So I figured out that there was no dinner. I figured out that there was no dinner and we needed to do something about it. So, I remembered that this same scenario had played out a year before now. And what did I do? I was upset. I got into the kitchen. I got out the food. I, of course, I missed yelling and displeasure and all that. Lots of very negative emotions right there. And then I got out the food and I made it for myself and my husband. At the end of the day, I realized that I had not accomplished anything. I mean, think about it. What did I accomplish? They still went to bed early. They still didn't get the food done. Nothing changed except that I was angry. And so I thought about it and I said to myself, I won't let that happen again. So before I got home, I stopped at a restaurant, I got good food, plenty of chicken, well-spiced, got home, got a good drink, fresh juice. While they were trying to get their acts together, I was having this, this dinner of my dreams with my spouse, of course. And they ended up making the dinner that day and sleeping almost at midnight. Now... That is what doing the unexpected means. Your children do something that, that is not um, ideal, that is not what they are supposed to do. Instead of rant, instead of pull down the roof, instead of do the things that they know you're going to do, why don't you just surprise them and do the unexpected? They know you're going to yell, you're going to report them to somebody, you're, you're going to just, you know, lay out all the consequences. Why don't you just do something else that will have even um, greater impact on their behavior and their decision next time? Now, the aim is not to be wicked. The aim is not to um, afflict pain on them. The aim is to teach them to remember to do what is expected of them. I remember a parent sharing something with me and saying that she constantly told her son to keep his bathroom clean. And he wouldn't. And she said, okay, you know what? You're not responsible enough to own a bathroom. So henceforth, you would start taking your bath outside. You think it's harsh? I don't think so. He didn't need to do it for up to a week. So he had to get up very early before um, 
it's daylight even though they were staying in a compound of their own it it still was very uncomfortable for him to be taking his bath outside the house it was inappropriate nobody was going to be watching him but he just didn't feel good and right and so his mom cleaned up the place and locked it up instead of shouting and yelling and flinging things she just she said she was done with that line of action and so in doing the unexpected you need to be creative Think of something that will not affect the self-esteem of your child. Think of something that will leave a lasting effect. Think of something that, will, that he will remember easily and quickly. Think of something that will keep you away from the consequence. Many times what we do as parents is that we end up doing the work. So you go, you're upset, you go and wash all the clothes because you don't want to be embarrassed. You go and do all the cleaning and the child is saved from that trouble and will continue in his misbehavior. You come and you watch your children. They have not done their chores. They're just watching TV. You rant, you rant, and then you get your housekeeper or another adult to, to do the work for them. And then they just go like, oh, awesome. Some of them giggle behind you. Some of them have fun like, oh, seriously? They will never change. They will, their behavior will never be modified. So in doing the unexpected, your aim is to help shape your children's behavior. Is to help them remember what to do without you reminding them. Is to keep them accountable and help them grow responsible. This is really, really key. Our children must be held responsible and accountable if not by the time they become adults you will just have succeeded in, in being a helicopter parent and micromanaging children who cannot think for themselves and who cannot make the right decisions for themselves part-time this is really key i hope you've enjoyed today's episode see you in the next episode bye Hello, welcome to this episode on our series, Surviving Your Kids' Adolescence. Today's episode is going to be a pretty interesting one because um, this is one aspect of teen parenting that is um, very dicey. This is something that a lot of parents are concerned about this is something that we need all the wisdom that we can get on what to do and how to handle these issues what is it preparing for potential problems preparing for potential problems you know a wise man once said that if you fail to plan you are planning to fail I don't want you here saying to me, God forbid, oh, Auntie Tima, this is not going to happen to my child. Well, that's what I call wishful thinking. If you sit and think that just because you've parented your child well, that your teenager is going to be free or exempted from any form of challenge, difficult circumstances, troubles, and everything is just going to go smooth, then I think you're really a wishful thinker because no matter how 
where we parent, our children will be faced with issues, emotional issues, issues in the academic life, issues with the relationships, issues with their self, issues spiritually, all sorts of things. So how prepared are we? How prepared are they? We need to have this at the back of our mind so that we don't wait until when the situation is on ground and then we start running around from pillar to post, confused. Um, I mean, just too much of hassle all around as if we did not know that our children were going to be teenagers, as if we did not know that they were going to grow up. The fact that you have a child today means that you already have advanced information that you're going to have a teenager tomorrow. Why do you think that your child will not grow? Why do you think that your child, your teenager will not have a crush? Why do you think that your teenager is going to wait until he's 18, 20 or 22 before he dates? Why do you think so? Why are you thinking that, oh no, your daughter is not going to want to have sex? until she's married why do you think so why are you deceiving yourself i'm going to use this uh, emotional and sex the sexual aspect of our children's life as a case study because i know from experience with dealing with teenagers that that is their number one challenge the challenge of how to handle a crush the desire to date to be dated i mean the oxytocin oxytocin um, hormone is very much on the high inside of them and so they want to hold they want to be held they want to kiss they want to cuddle why would i want to think why would you want to just wish that no your child will be exempted from the expressions of these feelings no instead of wishfully thinking that that will not happen why don't you wisely prepare them on what to do and how to handle those situations because they're going to come up while you're still thinking that no dating is for 18 years old your 13 years old is already in the second or third relationship and you have said nothing to her or him about how to handle the opposite sex how to set boundaries and rules how to practice self-control how to use refusal skills you have not had those dis discussions those conversations nothing of that sort and then the day he manages to break the news that I'm going on my I'm going on my first date, I mean official date, you want to start all the lessons and all the lectures. Too late. Too late. Parents have come to me to say things like, How early should I start having the sex conversations? As early as your child can point his his private body parts to you. Start it, but just ensure that it is age appropriate. You cannot be talking to your child, your teenager, who is going out with her friends to have fun on that morning about your value system, about what is acceptable and what is not on that morning or a day before. Too late. Some of them will not even be close enough or comfortable or confident enough to tell us about their relationship. So how do you even know? I hear parents say, oh, I just discovered that my child is in a relationship. I stumbled on her phone and the kind of things I saw, I couldn't sleep at night. 
you you can't sleep at night because you were not prepared and you did not prepare her for this stage of her life. If you did, you wouldn't be worried. Your children know nothing about erotic dancing. Your children know your teenagers know nothing about texting and sexting. Your children know nothing about alcohol, about drugs, about what happens in parties and clubs. They know nothing about, you know, leaving school, the risk of leaving school and going for parties in town. Your children know nothing about and when they are going to be pressured to date older men, about receiving gifts from people. Your children know nothing about celebrities and how they come to school to try to, um, you know, initiate this young, you know, say, well, they don't know nothing. They are the most gullible, ignorant people ever. Why? Because we think that um, living in denial is a plan. Living in denial is the solution. No, it's not. Staying woke is the real plan. Staying aware, accepting the fact that these things will happen in teenage, that is the, and then working towards it, preparing your child on how to go through it, that is the real plan. Having a purity plan, for example, drafting a purity plan, well-drafted purity plan, detailed one with your child, for your child, is a plan. I'm not feeling that somebody, somewhere, even right under your roof, will try to take advantage of your child sexually in, in partnership and in agreement with your child. You think that because you had your first date when you were ready to get married in your 20s, you feel that your child is like you. Or you feel that because you have prepared him with all the Bible verses, you have brought him up in the way of the Lord, that he wouldn't try out these things. Some wouldn't, but majority would. Many of them would just want to go into the into dating just for the fun of dating, not because they are bad. Parents, we need to understand that there is a difference with being curious, trying out things, testing the waters, and actually doing these things for the sake of being bad. I heard a woman share a story of how her parents said to her, her mother in particular, saw a young man come to just visit her daughter innocently and give her a hug. And the mom said, you're a prostitute, you're this, your dad called her names. And because of that, she decided to actually date and have sex with this same young man. So rather than accuse them falsely, rather than name call them, shame them, embarrass, she, she, this mother embarrassed this girl so much in front of that young man that the young man now used that as an excuse as an opportunity to be the loving one like you feel embarrassed come into my arms and of course he took advantage of her so don't think that your accusation is a plan don't think that your accusation is teaching or informing them you cannot be informing or teaching your child by threatening or by calling them names. How is that helping anything? Yes. Now listen, not days, not weeks, not hours. Before your child gets into that stage, begin to have these conversations. 
Now, what this does for your child is make them comfortable and ready to share with you when these things, when these scenarios will eventually play out. When somebody eventually comes to ask them out, they are likely to come and share with you because these conversations have been ongoing. Sex conversations are not events. It's not a one-day event. It's not a two, three-day event. Sex conversation should be a continuous experience for your child. You should talk about sex like you're talking about a movie, a book, or a sport, a hobby. That's how you should talk about sex. It should be ongoing, back and forth, the meaning, the consequences, stories, lessons, everything surrounding it. I'm just using this aspect as an example or as a case study. It could be on any other thing. Of course, you know the things that have to do with um, teenagers, alcohol, drugs, even driving. I've talked about driving in my home. My children are not yet 18, which is the official age for driving in Nigeria. But they know that the criteria for driving is not age in my house. The criteria for driving is responsibility. How responsible are you not to switch on the music to the loudest and then just vom, just drive uncontrollably, just press your feet on the throttle and just desire to see the speedometer get to the highest. And I'm going to be checking that, not with the car, but with your ability to take right decisions. And they know that that is what is going to earn you a car key. I'm not going to wait until the day my child is going to drive. Then I start speaking to him and say, when you get on the throttle, don't step on it too much. Be conscious of your environment. Don't drink while driving. That's not when I'm going to have those conversations. No, I'm going to prepare my child. Yes. Prepare them when it comes to drinking. Do you know if your child has already tested alcohol or been drinking before you go and start the conversations about alcohol do you know if they are going to try out drugs in school before you start talking to them about it with the excuse that no i don't want to, to i don't want to expose them you say things like no i don't want to be the one that will trigger the interest they're already going to be interested anyway their friends are already going to pitch these things to them so Instead of you to just be taken on our ways, why don't you prepare them? You might use your discretion as a parent. You know, look at it and say, how much do I think they know? Ask them. Bring up the conversations. Try to discover what do they know? How much do they know? How deep do they know? How much do they know about this topic? And then with that background information, begin to prepare them by giving them knowledge i always say that knowledge is a defense what your child knows will secure and fortify them on the day of peer pressure on the day of temptation and of and on the day of a trap trap on the internet trap in school trap even in the neighborhood i remember that the first time my 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 teenager tasted alcohol was under my, was around in the in, in in our neighborhood where one of our neighbors brought alcohol from his house we don't drink in my family my husband has never tasted alcohol we, we don't drink my children have never seen alcohol in our home 
But guess what? Somebody in the neighborhood brought the alcohol and gave it to all the teenagers in that community and said to them, you guys must taste, you guys must taste. And they all tasted it. Supposing I had not had these conversations, even though at that time, I must confess, I had not had it deeply. I had just introduced the conversation. Supposing my, ch my child knew nothing about it. She's, she stood at risk. She, she, I mean, she was, she was at the risk of loving it and continuing in it. That is how some children have innocently delved into risky behavior. Because of ignorance, complete ignorance. And then they taste it, they like it, they continue in it. Of course, what else would we, ex would we expect? It is time for us to stay woke. I have said this and I'll keep saying it. I wrote it in my book, my bestseller, Maintain Your Wife, that parents must be woke, must be woke, must be awake, must be alert. Don't deceive yourself and live in denial. And say, no, it cannot happen. This is a godly family. This is a family that has Christ good Christian virtues and values. Excuse me. You are raising a teenager, remember? Teenagers are going to try out things. The best you can do is prepare them to take calculated risk. Rather than take foolish, ignorant risk that will land them in trouble that are irreparable. Why don't you prepare them so they know what they are taking? And then they can make those choices and be proud of those choices. At the end of the day, your child, you don't even know if your child loves tattoos. And you here you are bragging that there is no need for such conversations. My child cannot dare. And then your child goes to your surprise and your shock. Go and take a tattoo that can never be erased. Because he didn't know that tattoos, excuse me, that tattoos, some tattoos were not just the ones that could be cleaned off, they were engraved to their skin. So these are, these are things that, if, choices that if they make, they can never go back on it. But you've not had those conversations. You've not prepared them for these things. So, so I mean, they, they are free to jump into these problems and face the consequences to the sadness and regret of both themselves and you. This is me saying to you, don't be late. Be ahead. Stop being on the defensive. Be on the offensive. Let them be prepared for everything. If you need to show them, if you need to take them to these places, if you need to be as plain, as vulgar, as, as honest as possible, please do. We're raising a gen, we're raising a gen Z as, as, as a son, as a daughter. We are raising smart children. 21st century children, they can outsmart you on all fronts. So why don't you just accept this fact and prepare them for what is ahead of them? Thank you so much for staying with me on this episode. I'm going to see you in the next episode as we continue our series on surviving your kids' adolescence. Bye.